This morning we're going to be in Psalm 51. I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible or on the screen as we read. I'm going to uh, let you sit on this one. We've done a lot of standing and sitting, and a lot of you have been up since very early this morning. You know, there's nothing, um, it is my normal practice for us to stand. There's nothing mystical or magical about that. I simply do that um, in recognition of the fact of that God's words and my words are not the same. I strive, I do my very best to expound upon God's word and the message that he's given me. But my words are fallible. I make mistakes. Uh, sometimes I'll watch, rewatch a service and I'll laugh at myself. And other times I say, oh, no. And uh, it's, you know, but I try. But uh, I always want the recognition to be that God's word is fallible, infallible. Man may be fallible, but God's word is perfect. Um, and they did something uh, very similar in uh, Jesus' day in the synagogues, only it was the opposite. Uh, they would sit down to read the Word of God, but the principle was the same. This morning we're in uh, Psalm 51, and um, I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 18. Um, and in your Bibles, before verse 1 starts, it, it, it gives a reminder that this was the time uh, after Nathan the prophet had confronted um, David over his sin uh, with adulter of adultery with Bathsheba and then murder of uh, her first husband. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Blot out your great, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. And they will return to you. Forgive me. For shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You did not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would help us to understand your grace and how we may be restored when we stray from the path that you've given us. We pray that we would learn things, that we would be changed in a way 
that would change us from here on out. We would not leave this place only with more information, but with transformation, that we'd be changed to be more like Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Wednesday night, I preached a message about the lesson of grace, what grace teaches us. And we refer to the passage in the book of Titus. Paul, as the Apostle Paul, is writing to a young minister, Titus, and, and he told them, the grace of God appeared teaching us to avoid worldliness and ungodliness. And so we talked Wednesday night uh, in WOW Worship, we talked about the fact that there's a lot of people in this world that learn the exact wrong lesson from grace. They think grace is license to sin. Grace is get out of jail free card. Grace is do whatever you want and then confess it and it's no big deal. But we learn from scripture that it is exactly the opposite, that the message of grace, the meaning of grace is to bless us and teach us and change us so that we no longer yearn and long to sin, that we no longer want to stray from God. And we talked about the fact that it's not just God saves us so that we can not go to hell. God saves us to transform us, to give us his righteousness. And therefore, because we have the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ in us, therefore, we can be in heaven. And it's lazy and it's disrespectful and even blasphemous, blasphemous for us to say, to skip that step of becoming what God wants us to be and simply say, hey, I just want to say sorry so I can skip the consequences. Because God forgives, yet consequences still remain. God's forgiveness for us is a restoration. And a couple of folks said, you ought to preach that again when there's some, some more folks here. And I'm not going to do that this morning, but what I do want to do is kind of give a complimentary message to that. Because we looked at Wednesday night, you know, what you, what you shouldn't do, how you shouldn't treat grace, how you should be really sincere when you confess, when you realize you've messed up. And so this morning, I want to answer the question, how do we know? How do I know that there is sincere repentance? And I want you to understand, this is not for you to uh, be a better judger of others, okay? This is not for you to critique, oh, give me some pointers. I want to know how I can critique, Brother Tim. You're going to help me to really judge other people. No, 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 no. This message is for you, so you will know whether your repentance, whether your confession is sincere, whether you're really being restored to God, or whether you're simply just skating over and pretending and, and saying, oh, it's okay because God will forgive me, but never really restoring your relationship with God. And so today I want us to talk about five marks, and we won't spend a lot of time on each of the five if that number five scares you. It's okay, they'll each be brief, but I want us to talk about five marks of true repentance or signs of true repentance. These are the things that help you to understand that you're on the right track. And we know from David, this was his confession, he spent almost a year skating over it, skirting around it pretending that he was the king, and so the rules didn't apply to him. And almost everybody that I ever talked to is, who's in rebellion, they've got some reason, some extenuating circumstance why the rules don't apply to them. But finally, through the message of the prophet David, he, David, uh, the prophet Nathan, David was broken over his sin. And so we're going to talk about, real briefly, 
the steps or the marks of true repentance. Number one, there's an intense desire to be purified from sin. An intense desire to be purified or cleansed from sin. See, this contrasts with simply being sorry that you got caught. David could have been pouring out his heart saying, Oh, if only God hadn't given that message to Nathan. If only, you know, um, I could have kept this from others. But this wasn't what David was about. It wasn't just about that I'm, I'm really mad because I got caught. David here was consumed by this desire to be purified from sin, to be cleansed. Listen to some of these words. It says, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. There is this recognition that sin has stained him. Sin has marred his very soul. That it has messed up and distance his relationship to God and others, and that he needs to be cleansed because until he is cleansed from his sin, things will not be right. No matter how good they look on the outside, they will not be right on the inside, and they will not be right with God. So you know, first of all, it's not just sorry that you're caught, but you have this desire within you to be cleansed for this stain to be removed. Secondly, and going right along with that, is a full admission of guilt. A full admission of guilt. The reason I use the word full is because a lot of people um, say sorry like this. Matt, I'm sorry that I'm going to come over here and punch you. But you know what? Um, Logan, he pinched me. And he kind of put me in a bad mood. And um, you see what I'm saying? We... I'm sorry, but, I'm sorry, but you know what you did to me? You know what the circumstances of others were? You, you know what all was going on? And really what we're saying is sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. I, I, I'm kind of, I know I should say these words. I know I should go through these steps because otherwise I'll look prideful and a poor sport. So I'm going to do the bare minimum to jump through the hoops and, and kind of say that I, I said I was sorry. What's wrong with you people? When in reality, everybody can tell you're not really sorry because you're still blaming everybody else. You know, this is really important when you're trying to reconcile with someone because almost inevitably, when you're, at, you're having an issue with someone else, even if they didn't start out in the wrong, once you did something wrong, they probably did something wrong in return, okay? So whether they started it or whether you started it, there's going to be some wrong on their part probably unless they're just perfect, okay? But guess what? When you go to make that right, now there's, there's times for confrontation. There's, there's times to sit down and have an intervention with someone, okay? There's times to point things out. But when you're there just to say you're sorry, just say you're sorry. Don't say, I'm sorry for, you know, reacting so badly to what you did to me, you know. That's not what it's about. Real repentance is simply accepting, admitting your guilt and not trying to give excuses, not trying to lay, uh, lay blame on others. A third mark of true repentance 
is complete agreement that God's way is right. Complete agreement that God's way is right, including his discipline on your life. You see, I've come to a number of people, uh, across a number of people who've messed up in their relationships and their health and their choices. They've they've sinned in in some kind of way, and then life has gotten really bad for them, whether it's legally or their relationships or their health or something is really, really bad. And they say, I know I messed up. I admit that I messed up, but this is too harsh. This is too much. I don't deserve this much pain and sorrow. In other words, I'm a good guy, I'm a good girl, because I admitted that I was wrong. But God, you're not really fair now, because you're throwing too much on me. The guilt or the consequences of my behavior, it's too much, God. And David says this, though. He says, you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb. In other words, God, I realize that even the moment that I was born, I inherited a sin nature, and my perceptions were shaded by that. And I look at the world through a selfish sort of filter, and I'm I'm naturally going to say it's not fair, it's not my fault, it's too much. But God, what you want is honesty from me. You want admission, not only admission of guilt, but that the circumstances and consequences of my life, that it's really not anybody's fault but mine. That I have to own this. I have to not blame others. And so it's coming to this point of not only saying, yes, I want to be washed free from this guilt, and yes, I've done wrong, but also, yes, God, I admit that you're right. Your laws and your ways are right, and even the discipline that you've placed on my life, the harsh things that I'm going through right now, God, you're right. Even if I don't feel that it's right, you're right. We're terrible at perceiving what's really fair. They've done a study with husbands and wives asking them about how they how they share. I saw a couple look at each other like, ooh, what's gonna be here? Uh, How do we share? How well do we share the responsibilities in our lives? And do you know what they said? Inevitably, both partners Uh, These are not the people on the extremes, but the normal thing is that both husband and wife always anticipate they did 10% more than they really did. Let's say that you're in a marriage where you're truly doing 50-50, half of the work around the house, he does, half she does. Inevitably, the wife would say, well, he tries, but I do about 60%, and you know, he does about 40%. And the husband would say the same thing. We always see what we did and how great it was, and we want to make sure that it got noticed, right? Kind of like the whole, you know, tree falling in the woods. Does anyone hear it? If your wife doesn't see the vacuum got run, did it happen? So you make sure, don't you, gentlemen, that, that, that she sees that that vacuum uh, got run. We love to get credit for what we did more than what we did, and we love to kind of not accept responsibility for everything that's happened to us. You know, th- by the way, there are things, obviously, in life that happen to you that 
is because of someone else's sin or because we live in a sinful world. That, that should be clear and obvious. But I'm talking about things that have resulted from your choices in life. We have to learn to own those and admit, God, you're in the right for how you've allowed my life to come. Fourth, there is a yearning for a restored relationship rather than just wanting to avoid consequences. A yearning for a restored relationship. He says, oh, give me back my joy again. He says, create in me a clean heart. Listen to this. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know what David was saying? Saying, God, I don't want just to, quote, get out of this jam. I don't want a quick fix. God, I want to be restored to you. And we just sang just a moment ago, let us experience your presence the goodness and the fullness of your presence. You know, we, we understand in this time since Christ, after Christ, that those who believe are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is with you always. It's not taken away. But in the Old Testament, in a different era, a different time, those believers, sometimes the Holy Spirit would come upon men and women to accomplish special tasks for God's purpose, and then his spirit would be taken away from them at other times. And David begs and pleads, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. In other words, God, punish me however you will, but please don't abandon me. Please let your presence be with me still. Now, God's Spirit does not leave us, but the Bible does tell us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit and that we can quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, by our sin and our pride and our lack of confession, we can so push down the effect of the Holy Spirit in our lives that it's virtually imperceptible, that no one would really notice any difference between us and an unbeliever. But if you're really sincere, if you have true repentance, it's not just God fix this issue, it's God fix me and fix our relationship because I screwed it up, God. I blocked the fellowship between us. I made it so where we're not close anymore. That's on me, God, but please, please, Lord, let it be back close like it once was. You know, almost all of us can remember a time in our life, maybe it was a revival, maybe it was a retreat, a camp, Maybe it was a special Bible study we were going through. Maybe it was a trying time in our life and we really leaned on the Lord. Almost all of us can remember a time when we were really, really close to God, closer than we are right now. Let me ask you a question. Who moved? I'll tell you that God didn't move. He didn't get more distant from you. If you're not as close to him as you once were, it means you moved. You have not been yearning for his presence. You have not been confessing your sins. You have not been sincere about allowing God to be in control completely and totally of your life. When we understand where we've strayed and where we've fallen away from him, our heart's cry should be like David, restore unto me that joy of my salvation. In other words, let me revel in the wondrous grace that you give me, God. Let me just soak it all in. Let that be my life, you. You alone, Lord, 
Fifth, and finally, the fifth mark of true repentance is a true intention to change. True intention to change rather than putting on a show. God says, you know what, it's, it's not about crocodile tears. It's not about walking down an aisle and falling on your face unless you're too prideful. And then maybe it is about that if you think I'm too prideful to ever kneel at the altar. I would worry about what other people think about me. Well, then you've put other people and your concern about other people over God. And then that is an issue. But ultimately, it's not about a public display it's about being real with God. And so he says here, you do not offer a desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. And those were all the normal, even God prescribed ways of coming to God and saying, I'm sorry for sin. But the problem is they were meant to be a symbol of what was really happening in the heart and people got to the point where they skipped the heart part and they just gave the offering. And God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own everything. Your sacrifice that might have been a little costly to you, that, that meant nothing to me if your heart isn't right. <coughs> it's not about a big show. It's about getting things right. Now, I will say this, God doesn't need your sacrifice, but other people may. This is really about when the sin problem is directly between you and God. You know what, David, David had already, he'd killed Bathsheba's husband. She wasn't around. I mean, he wasn't around uh, anymore. He couldn't make restitution to that man. But the Bible does teach that we are to make restitution with others. When we have harmed others, if we are truly sorry, we'll not only just say sorry, but we'll do whatever we can to make it right. You remember the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and the wee little man was he, and we learned that he climbed up that sycamore tree. What did, <clears throat> what did Jesus say after he said, come on down for I'm coming to your house today, like the song says? The part that's not in the song is where Zacchaeus says, Lord, anyone that I have wronged, I will repay them fourfold, four times what I have overcharged, four times what I have cheated them of. God, I will make it right. And it's then and only then at that point that Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. You see, what Jesus was saying is, this man has truly repented. He's truly believed. He's truly had a heart change. And the reason that I know that he's had a heart change is not only, of course, Jesus knew all, but he says there's proof because his heart change made a life change. It made an action change. When he was committed to true repentance, if he was confessing, which means saying the same thing as God, agreeing with God, he says, this man has salvation. That is, he was sincere. It was the real deal because it wasn't just talk. There was real action behind it. So ask yourself, 
perhaps now, as you think about some situations and circumstances in your past where you've sinned and you've done wrong toward God or toward others? Have you had a real desire to be purified from sin rather than just escaping the consequences? Have you really had a full admission of guilt? Or have you said, I did, but you, so did you. Have you come to a complete agreement with God that his way is right? That is, you've confessed, you've agreed with him, his way is right, and even the consequences for your life. Is there a yearning for a relationship to be restored and renewed? And it's okay if you've ever wondered, God, I don't even know if I can do this because if I'm honest, I kind of want to be closer to you, but there's part of me that doesn't want to be, part of me that enjoys this sin. Guess what? You let that part of you that does want to do right cry out to God, and you say, create in me a desire. That's what David said. God, I want you. I want to serve you, but I don't want to serve you as much as I should, so create that desire in me even more. Let it grow and let that sinful desire fade in me. Do you yearn for that relationship? And is there a true intention in your life to change? I mean, that is, you don't just say the right thing because we all know the right things to say. We've become masters at that. We know what we have, the right words that get us out of trouble. But is there real desire and plan and intention for our behavior by God's grace and with his power to change? If you can say yes to those things, then you can feel pretty well that you've followed and received God's grace and that you're walking in a restored relationship with him. But if not, I want to encourage you, don't just blow it off. Don't just say, oh, preacher stepped on my toes today. Let me go get something at lunch that makes me feel better. But I encourage you to do business with the Lord. Desire like David did, that restored joy and relationship with him. Because I guarantee you, God wants that even more than you do. And he can't wait to grant it to you when you come to him with that broken spirit, that humble heart. The heavenly father cannot wait to restore you to the place that he wants to be, that place of love and closeness and his presence in your life. Let's pray today. God, I come to you and um, you're so good. And because of that, we, we end up taking your goodness for granted. We're so wrong when we do that, Lord. God, I, I pray that we would understand that you saved us to serve. You saved us not just from the consequences of sin, but God, you saved us so that we would not experience sin, that we would not be bound to sin. And some of us willingly go back into that slavery. In fact, all of us at times, if we're honest, God help us to wake up to the reality that that's no way to live, that you've got something deeper, fuller, higher, a more abundant life that can only be experienced when we surrender ourselves to you completely when we get rid of the saying the right words game and when we really repent of our sin, when we're broken before you. God, I pray that 
that we would come to know you closer. As you bring to mind those areas that we've held on to, those sins we've cherished in our heart, God, break us, help us to love you more than we love our idols, to love you more than we love the pleasures and desires of this world. Be with us now in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.